Hi, this is Karen Walby Solomon, and welcome to my podcast, Crushing On. Welcome to episode 14. Today on the show, we are joined by Taryn Cartre. She is the host and creator of the podcast, What's a Quarantine, which is an excellent show. She talks more about it in the episode, so I don't want to say too much, but like from my point of view, um, I feel like if this isn't a podcast yet you've listened to, you really need to give it a try. I put it as number one in my list of South African podcasts that I love on my newsletter this week, but also it's such an interesting podcast like they discuss everything from racial identity to classism to education and you know how these things intercede with each other she has insightful guests and the way they talk about it just makes you feel enlightened and i know that during this trying time things aren't easy but it's 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 so nice to hear different people and different types of people discussing issues which are important to us so i'm gonna link to it in the show notes so please check it out while taryn was here we got along really well and we chatted about a whole lot of things from reality shows which says she says helps her take her mind off off like all the hectic stuff which they discuss in the show we also talk about colored identity we chat about microaggressions on the bachelor season two and the new book mermaid filet by mia arden which we were both reading when i interviewed her but before we get to that i just have some like a few notices number one it's a three-month anniversary of crushing on so i would like to thank every one of you who supports who listens who shares the show i mean we wouldn't have made it this far if it wasn't for you. And we are eternally grateful to you. So if you are a listener and you haven't shared it with a friend, um, maybe as a three-month anniversary to us, maybe share the love with your friends. Also, um, number two, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, Crushing On Club, please do so. Links in the show notes. You can search for it on Facebook. It's a lot of fun. We share news. We share recommendations. And it's just it's a great way for people who love pop culture and entertainment to interact. And it's fun. People share memes. It's really cute. And the third thing was, we are obviously recording from home. Well, we are remote recording. And unfortunately, at this moment in time... There are renovations being done to my home, so which means that during some of the interviews you might hear construction sounds. And it was quite prevalent in this interview with Taryn today. So um, I'm just warning you if you hear like a or any kind of funny sound, it's probably work being done. And yeah, just keeping it 100 with you guys. Somebody posted a meme or when they're like, if color culture doesn't exist, and someone's like, if color culture doesn't exist, why is my house constantly being renovated? And I felt that on a deep level. I actually think that was Reva. So shout out to Reva on Sing From Her Hair on Twitter for that perfectly timed meme that I just, just I felt it in my soul. But anyway, I don't want to keep you any longer. Please take a listen, share the show, rate and review, and here's the interview with Taryn. Hi, Taryn. Thank you so much for joining us. How are Hi, you? Karen. Thank you so much. I am well. How are you? I'm okay. Can't complain. 
So have you been keeping busy during the quarantine? Uh, well, like yourself, I started a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, like, um, obviously it's been tough for everybody and... Mm. I mean, mental health wise, it's not easy and stuff. And for me, I, while I'm not clinically diagnosed with depression, I recognize that I do um, suffer from that. And like in, in bouts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want that to um, be a huge point of contention for me during this period because I knew it was going to be tough especially because I'm like in a long distance relationship and I haven't seen my partner since the first week of Jan. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, so so it's been it's been rough. But you know, I decided to start my podcast because it was something that I wanted to do with my business in any case. Um I was in the fashion industry in e-commerce and I had a platform for local designers. And part of what I wanted to bring into the uh, platform was having this these podcasting discussions with other entrepreneurs mm. um, and fashion designers or fashion entrepreneurs rather and um, yeah obviously because I was I was doing the platform you know the e-commerce stuff as well as um, pop-up shops I didn't have time to do the podcasting things and I also it wasn't like something that I was entirely comfortable with <laughs> mm. no I know exactly how you feel <laughs> you know <laughs> And so I just like, I guess lockdown, you know, pulled that out of me, mm. you know, I think it's managed to do that for a lot of us, you know, we'll be doing things that we wouldn't have thought about doing and, and we, 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 we surprising ourselves with how um, interesting on interesting ways on how we are dealing and, and yeah. innovative ways of, of even managing depression and stuff like that. So um, basically, yeah, that's how I've been dealing with lockdown. I created a podcast. <laughs> and highly relate because for me too, like it was something I kind of wanted to do, but I procrastinated actually starting because having to record my voice was, I don't know, like the scariest thing ever. <sighs> So I just kept on procrastinating till I was, till it was locked down. I couldn't go anywhere. And then I was unemployed. You like the sound of their voice. No, definitely. It was so funny for me that I went into this because I hated interviewing people before because I hated transcribing because my, the sound of my voice. And I was like, oh, I have to listen to the sound of my voice. <laughs> and now it's like, okay, now I want to do this every week. We have to constantly <laughs> listen to the sound of my own voice. Um, one of your episodes, you, I think you were talking to, to Ling and you were saying, talking about phone voices and how your, your accent changes. The code switching. Yeah. yeah. I, it's real. I, I do it often, <laughs> even on the podcast. Um, but you know what? That's just yeah. something that I've now decided is part of who I am and I'm not going to change that. I can code switch as a goal. <laughs> and if I don't feel like doing that, I'm not going to, you know. <laughs> um, people always say like, like my family will be like, they find it so funny when like I'm doing the intern, I'm talking alone. Then I have on like an accented voice. But the minute I'm in the conversation, it's like it drops little by little. <laughs> and when I have to talk to somebody, like the real Karen will always come up. So I know the code switching works like 
<laughs> you said the real Karen and I heard the real Karen and I was like, yep, that's me. That's me. <laughs> I always thought out so very raw, raw and then one, two, three, back over day. <laughs> So tell me, so tell, I mean, this is officially the first time we've met other than like chatting on socials and stuff. So tell me like about you, like what I should know about you. Ooh. Um, <laughs> okay. Let me give you the, the socially acceptable version. <laughs> um, basically, I am... A 35-year-old black woman. I am an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for the past five years now, um, which has, it's been a hell of a ride, to be honest. It's, um, it's hectic. Like, you know, we don't, we also live in a space where it's, it's not always accessible for, um, you know, people of color to, understand how entrepreneurship works when I came into the space um obviously the landscape changes so even with podcasting now I'm meeting new podcasters like you and whatever Mm -hmm. because of the hashtags that I'm putting out and obviously the content that's being shared and whatever you know so it, it works in the same way um with entrepreneurship and so meeting all these people I saw how extremely white these places are for sport Um, But it was also like life changing because um, when you become an entrepreneur, you have to start viewing yourself in a way that um, isn't very, (laughs) uh, it's not always so liquor (laughs) because Mm -hmm. um, you have to shine a spotlight on uh, your shortcomings and it becomes like, and I'm not saying that this is for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm speaking completely from my experience. But for me, it became like very hard to see the the good things that that we were doing um, as as young entrepreneurs. I had a business partner as well, and um, yeah, it was just it was interesting to grow in that space, and I'm still doing that. It, that hasn't ended, and because I can't see myself going back to corporate as much as I am like craving a salary <laughs> uh like <laughs> month-to-month salary <laughs> there's also things that i wouldn't have been able to do like travel the world and um or oh, not the world i just went to europe but like <laughs> i wouldn't have been able to yeah. do that on end um if i didn't have a, a business that was so um mobile and yeah there's just like a lot of things that you get to learn about yourself and it isn't always pretty But there's also like you you tend to take stock of the things that are like super important. Um, And when there is a win, it's like, you know, Mm. confetti flying everywhere, (laughs) even if it's like just something small, (laughs) like getting into a program (laughs) because your business plan was like, you know, up to scratch and stuff. Like that means a lot because you're getting feedback from these people whom you Mm. like admire who have been um you know doing amazing things within the space and um yeah so there's obviously pros and cons wherever you go but about me that's me on a very sort of surface natural kind of thing I think you're gonna have to ask more (laughs) in-depth questions for anything else (laughs) 
So um, you were saying that, you know, being a person of color in majority white spaces, you know, how, how did you deal with that? Um, not very well. Hmm. Um, obviously, from an external point of view, it looks fine on the outside. But on an internal point of view, it's hectic because you have to censor yourself. Otherwise, you're not going to get invited to certain circles. Um, and for me, my whole thing was that I wanted to be a person on my own. Well, that's how it started out. As you move along, you realize that you can't do things alone. Mm. You have to bring people in and, and widen your um, network uh, and collaborate. And so collaboration has become like a huge tenet of how I work. I believe that's the only way that um, especially, you know, black folks can come together mm. and, and create a different bar for ourselves, you know, in terms of how we relate to each other, how we support each other and, and how we can eventually thrive together. And being in a predominantly white space within entrepreneurship, um, you, I kind of just had to take in what I needed and let the rest go. Um, and it was very important for me to not just collaborate with any person that wanted to come in because I feel like a lot of times when white people want to work with us, they do it from a place of wanting to outwardly show that they are quote-unquote woke. I hate mm. that term, but, you know, to get the point across, um, it's, it's like for cookie points, you know, yeah. and I don't feel that they necessarily do the internal work to appreciate our presence in working with them. And I think also people don't realize, <laughs> people don't realize that, especially working with people who are strong on wanting to decolonize mm. things like, you know, you can't just come into the space and think like, oh, I'm going to get brownie points because I'm working with people who understand the dynamics of intersectionality and stuff like that. And I'm just going to ride on that wave until I've sort of gotten everything that I need out of it. Because ultimately, like, heads are going to bat mm. because I'm not going to take your cuck, first of all, <laughs> you know. And so I feel like a lot of people don't like it. And so I, I, I think, like, to a certain extent, I do put off a slightly rough exterior um, that white people like to call sassy. And, um, and I'm fine with that because you need to know your place with me. I don't think that, that you can just come in and use me, you know, no. um, for clout. I'm not, I'm not your token black. I'm sorry. So, so that's how I feel about working in those spaces. I just kind of make, and I think like for a lot of us, we do take in what we, what we need and discard the rest, yeah. which is, you know, the microaggressions, you know, like I said, the cloud seeking stuff. Um, it, it's yeah. I, I think hmm. we take what we need and we leave what we don't. I have, I have such a problem with microaggressions. So like, I can't for me, 
it's like I, I think I like I think I'm very polite, but I can never be anyone other than myself. So if I'm not happy with something you say, I'm going to say something about it, which doesn't always bode well. And then you, and then you usually see the people who who play the game are the ones that get promoted or the ones that you know get the opportunities, which I suppose is frustrating because as uh, people of color, we have to. <laughs> <laughs> as we have to kind of toe that line, which is kind of unfair because why should we be anyone less than ourselves in our workplaces? Yeah, I mean, but oh, honestly, what are you going to do? Yeah. And that's why it's important for us to create our own spaces. Mm. But of course, the economic advantages, they don't lay with us yeah. uh, for the most part. And so I also don't blame people who feel that they do have to toe the line mm. to get ahead. I mean, at the end of the day, that's your bag. You've got to, like, you know, survive. And um, if you are in a position where you can take the risk and, you know, go against the grain, then sure, Um you know, please, like, if you ever feel that you are in that position, please do it that way and don't do it the way that I do, which is just, like, you know, telling everybody they be. So, um, <laughs> you know, okay, I don't do that. I do it in subtle ways. <laughs> but it's just, like, I mean, it, it's dependent on what you are willing to take. Um, everybody has a certain threshold, I think. Mm. And I feel like sometimes people don't even know that these quote-unquote microaggressions are actually happening. And, you know, microaggressions is such like a, a funny label because is it micro when mm. it feeds into the greater experience of who we are and what we have to deal with? I mean... It's not micro when it's like something you experience every day at every point, you know, from the economic majority mm. or those who hold the economic majority in, in this country. So I think we actually had this conversation. I think I had it with Ling. We, it's actually that everything is a macroaggression and it's why like sometimes we it seems like we're overreacting. It's not an mm. overreaction. It's a reaction because, like, this shit happens day in and day out. Like, what do you expect? Just because you don't, you know, experience discrimination from a racial point of view or from a gender point of view doesn't mean that these instances don't occur and they are violent. I actually just had a, a conversation with a guest of mine on my show yesterday, uh, Zoe Black, and we were talking about like how when you are in a position to recognize discrimination, it is your job. Mm. Like, okay, you, it's obviously it's up to you if you're going to do that or not, but like ethically, morally, it's your job to stand up when something is not right. And I mentioned, but if you are stuck in an echo chamber that feeds a narrative that 
you are not used to because you haven't experienced discrimination. How do you know that what you're doing is wrong? Hmm. You know, and in in South Africa, especially in like you know where we are in the Western Cape, spatial apartheid has not ended, mm-hmm. and so people still operate within these silos. And yes, there are certain black folks who rise above and into the ranks that you know, quote unquote, matter, but. It obviously took a lot for them to get there, and that yeah. meant time behind, which means that they had to, you know, drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, um, of what it means to continuously exclude people and work from this meditative point of, of view, you mm. know. Like you can only get ahead if you're going to do um, well in certain areas, but that doesn't take into consideration what it takes for some people to get to that point, you know, I have a car, I can drive to work. I also um, live in proximity to amenities and things Mm. like that. Right. So I have a certain level of privilege, but for like someone living probably outside of the, 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 the city and having to take, you know, four buses, having to get up at four o'clock in the morning. Are you Mm. mad? Four o'clock in the morning, you know, how deep, deep, deep. In fact, you know what? I'm not deep because I can't sleep anymore. So which means by four o'clock, half past four, I'm getting my second sleep (laughs) for the night. You know what I mean? Because like, I can't sleep. But imagine now you, you, you can't sleep. It's lockdown. I'm sure it wasn't lockdown at that point. But if you think about it, like now it's lockdown a lot of us are struggling with um, insomnia and <laughs> you wake up at 12 o'clock. You can only fall asleep at like three o'clock and now you have to get up at four o'clock to go to this job that doesn't appreciate the work that you're putting out. You know, that is like the privilege that people don't want to acknowledge when it comes to these things. And it's because we live so separated from each other, you know, that we don't understand other people's lifestyles and, and, and why it is that they have to go through the things that they are going through. So why did you decide to start What's the Quality? Well, I mean, like I said, I, um, I wanted to do it, you know, I wanted to start a podcast anyway. I just didn't have the guts to. And um, I was sitting with my friend one time and we um we were watching the bachelor season two essay and um and after each episode we would discuss what's happening and and like how frustrated we are with like everything and you know what are the lulls behind it and all that stuff and then i was like wait a minute look here we need to record what we are saying because I feel like, honestly, like, like in general with the friendship circle that I have, we would sit around my dining room table and we would just talk so much and so much like of importance. And I would sometimes marvel at my friends who are around me and I'd feel like I'm a little fly on the wall you know you never get to be in situations where you can just listen to brilliant minds 
speaking their minds unfiltered and just so so beautifully encompassing what certain experiences are like you know and and i thought about that a lot and then when we were watching the bachelor and we would have our conversations afterwards i was like no nah, man look here we need to record the things that we are saying because i feel like so many people would want to listen to what we have to say like we have important views here that need to get out okay <laughs> we're going to be loved and rejoiced all over. <laughs> <laughs> we started off very shakily with our audio and we we started off on I think it was episode 9 or 10 on the bachelor season 2 and we went in we went in like we even had a nickname for mark which was mark butner because i said it by accident <laughs> so <laughs> um so we had that going and yeah we posted it all over and mark even followed my co-host at that time and um yeah it was just like it was such a laugh like and but we also like discuss the things that are important to us which is like the issues of race and gender and how it 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 worked within mm. that's um on the bachelor okay so then then how did you decide to move it from being about the bachelor to more more general social issues i mean well like i was saying um we had discussed within the bachelor the issues that mm. are important to us with regards to race and gender and so it was really easy for me to then bring my friends on to say like well you know let's talk about the other stuff you know mm. outside of um tv shows and stuff because you know what actually happened Karen was that i use reality tv as a way to numb a lot of the things that i think about mm. because you know if if you listen to the things that we talk about on on my podcast which is what's the quarantine by the way we haven't plugged you know, <laughs> yet but um you know we deal with like hectic topics and um it's a lot and so like i like to sort of cancel the noise out with a lot of reality tv like i'm obsessed with real housewives I am obsessed like it was recently um selling sunset uh on the <laughs> like amazing and then of course there was love is blind and of course the bachelor and so when we were discussing the bachelor on the pod it something that I found joy in started to become more of a, a task you know and I didn't want to feel like that and my co-host at the time felt the same way like oh now we have to watch this week in order to report you know the next day after the episode and stuff and we were just like nah man we don't like list for that kind of pressure we've got so many other things going on like we don't want to put that on ourselves and so i said like well you know what i want to talk about like other things and it wasn't that difficult like i said because we had spoken about the, those kind of issues within the 
entertainment, two entertainment episodes that I had, it was really easy to go into that because people know me, they know who I, how I am. Like I don't like to waffle about and stuff. And um, um, it was really easy to get into the content that I'm doing right now. So you were saying that through the hectic stuff, you you kind of numb it by watching reality shows. So you said you like Real Housewives. Is I love the Real Housewives. <laughs> Did you watch all of them? No, not all of them. Um, I watched like Beverly Hills and um, Potomac and um, and Married to Medicine. Oh, is that is that separate? It's still part of Bravo. Okay. Uh, so. It's like the same kind of uh, format. Oh, okay. So which one did you say is like the best one? If you want to like start watching. If you want to, if you want to start watching, I would say, if you want to start watching now, I would say probably go with Potomac. Um, but the thing is like, you have to watch from the beginning, man. Mm. Like, in, because the storylines are so like, because the housewives interact over the franchises. So oh. if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> crossovers and they don't miss yeah they do so with married to medicine um and and real housewives of atlanta they cross over sometimes because mm-hmm. they're based in the same city but um with uh with the other ones it's more like crossing over in terms of twitter fingers and pity beef that they have with each mm-hmm. other and and so there's a lot that i miss but i know that there's a lot that that that's gone on and 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 so it's nice to like get in on it from the beginning so that you like, I don't know, I don't like to miss out on stuff. I have <laughs> I'm the same, like I can never start watching something now. Like I would have, because I started watching Beverly Hills, but I watched like some of the first season and I was like, I'll get back to this again. There's <laughs> just so many episodes. But I do like the kind of, the kind of drama that they have there. It's like, it's manufactured, but they're so good that it looks real. You know what I mean? Like it's, they've got a good way of balancing like the reality of it and the supposedly planned. Yeah. And I think it's difficult with Beverly Hills because so many of them used to be actors mm. who are still actors. And so you, you never really know if they're just doing it for the soap factor of it all, but either which way it's still liquor <laughs> to watch. I'm sorry, like, and I know it's problematic because we're capitalizing on women and stereotyping women as as being catty and bitchy and stuff like that. But, I mean, sometimes it's just liquor. <laughs> it's nice to see people react in ways that you wish you could react. But you... <laughs> But but you keep yourself, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes you want to charge at that person. But but you're thinking like, no, it's okay. Meanwhile. I mean, girl, like, sometimes I feel like I should have a reality show because, I mean, I'm probably drama. <laughs> but it's like really drama. It's like silly. It's so silly. <laughs> and sometimes I, like, think I'm in a reality show. <laughs> but, um, I mean... I don't know. It's fun. It's nice. It's 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 just it's mindless fun, you mm. know. And and yes, sometimes it can be problematic. Well, all the time it's problematic. But I mean, it's it's just a way to decompress in a sense. Mm. So, what else do you enjoy like watching other than the Real Housewives? So, 
I am obsessed with true crime. Mm-hmm. And even within podcasting, um true crime was like I love true crime podcasts. You know, some of my favorites are from Tenderfoot TV, uh which you know, they they've done shows like The Atlanta Monster, The Zodiac Killer and um um Up and Vanished. And it is just so like I'm I marvel at how beautifully produced these shows are. Um so I enjoy true crime and, and of course the true crime on Netflix and one of my other uh favorite shows are shows based on true crime as well, <laughs> like uh Narcos and Narcos Mexico. Mm. Um in fact, actually, I prefer Mexico over the original Colombian one. And yeah, what are the other shows? Selling Sunset. That's a great one. That's a decent one. <laughs> Tell me about this. I, I saw it. It's about women selling, being like real estate peoples. Tell me yeah, they, they're real estate agents. And um, it's about them selling stuff. But then it's also about the cattiness between the women and all that <laughs> um i think there's these it's also it's they live on such a level of wealth Mm. that is so seemingly unattainable at my level right now i'm not saying that i'll never get there because i'm gonna be a rich bitch one day i'm sure of it (laughs) (laughs) but um i mean it's so like far removed from where we are it's something else to watch but it's 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 basically the same premise just within the industry of real estate you know and and just exorbitance of money the 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 Mm. money is just like it's ridiculous and yeah it's it's just so removed yeah so that's why i like it um yeah, I don't know how else to explain that. <laughs> but it is like, also like, you know, if I was in that position, what would I do? Because I, I know when I was watching The Real Housewives and Kyle had a, a birthday party for a child. Kyle and, I don't know, the blonde one, Taylor. Anyway, they had birthday parties for their children. And I was like, if I was a rich person, would I give my child diamonds? I didn't think so. <laughs> or would I? Like, I still love my super sweet 16 when I was at school. Because I was like the wildest birthday party ever <laughs> if you must come in in a horse in a carriage if you must go outside and cry because your dad didn't buy the color car that you wanted like for me it's just like it's craziness but it's so addictive it's scary how addictive these shows are <laughs> <laughs> um, i've never watched uh, sweet 16 or whatever it's called but that yeah like i was saying the display of wealth is it, it is ridiculous and I mean, I don't know if I'd ever do that, like, for my kids. But I guess when you... I feel like a lot of them didn't come from wealth. Mm. And so it's like that with new money, regardless of race. You want to, you know, showing what you can purchase. Purchasing power has a certain leverage to it. And so when you can show what a big fancy house you have, all the super cool cars that you can buy, the latest of everything. I mean, that gives off a level of power to some people, you know, that they aren't want to be messed with because mm. they have 
economic power. And that's what runs the world, really. So with the whole podcast thing, so what, what have you found has been like the biggest lesson that you've learned? How, how long has it been since you started? April? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like now, now. I don't think that I... I don't know if I've learned anything. Um, oof, that's an odd question. Um, okay. I can't say that I've learned anything from podcasting other than being really deliberate about putting melanated voices out there. Mm. Uh, but that's been a thing for me. In any case, it's just a different medium to be using now. I would say I have not learned anything yet. Okay, so then what would you say was the most exciting moment for you since starting? Like what moment oh gave God. you joy? Uh, I mean, literally every episode is a joy, mm. but the most exciting was my guest of two episodes ago, which is Patrick Millay. And he, I mean, I've been, Patrick is an icon. Mm-hmm. And I've been wanting to have a one-on-one with him forever. I've been following him since like 2016. And I, you know, I just, I reached out to him finally. I reached out to him before, like to comment on, on a blog that I had done before and stuff on colored culture. But it wasn't enough for me. Mm-hmm. I wanted more from this man who gives us so much. Um, but, uh, you know, the most exciting part for me was when I was able to reach out to him and he said yes and mm. gave me a four and a half hour episode <laughs> that is completely iconic mm. and I feel has the power to change so many people's lives in terms of how they see each other and how they interact with politics and, and, and how they see themselves as, um, especially as people who identify as colored, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, even in that episode myself, like I, I felt so ignorant because purely because this man has been in politics, like from the womb. Yeah, it was just so exciting to be able to get that caliber of person onto my show. Of course, everybody that's come onto the show is like mm-hmm. amazing, but this is like a person who's gone through the struggle. He's been exiled. Um, he's, you know, unfortunately being tortured. You know, he has a world mm-hmm. of experience um, that we don't hear about. You know, everything is rainbowism that rainbowism this and i'm so tired of dealing with misinformation Mm. i mean um something that i spoke about in that episode as well as an episode with my friend lynn or ling was that uh we or you know my son he's in primary school and they're learning about history and one of the topics or one of the exercises that they had to do was that they have to pretend that they are a European sailor arriving in South Africa and they need to diarize what the sailor is experiencing. And I lost my entire fucking shit 
okay because what the fuck mm. this is a child who had slave history slave origins how can basic education it's probably called basic education for a reason mm. but how can they do this to a country of children who are learning they want to perpetuate the same cack all the time okay mm. and because it's like within schools it means that we have to you know the few of us who are moving towards decolonization have to do extra work and then on top of it tell these children you know you got to just do this work in yeah. order to pass you know but this is incorrect please understand that school what you are learning here i'm paying to send you to the school but what you're learning is bullshit mm. and i can't get you out of it you know it's such a messed up system karen like it's so disheartening on so many levels because we are a failed country i would say when we cannot give our children the means to critically think mm. about what it means to be a colonized country and for these reasons that we can't do that we are still a colonized country yeah you know in, in and and that's just only in one aspect of it hmm so um yeah sorry i've gone off the point a little bit <laughs> but i mean you were talking about like the misinformation and and i mean i i listened to that entire 4 hours of that interview which is another reason why i really like podcasts i was thinking because if you're on a radio show if you're on a tv show you have a limited time with which you can work in and i was i was i was actually speaking to my sister cuz she's a big fan of patrick as well and i was like come oh, over you must listen to this <laughs> to the interview and i'm say, i was like i wouldn't have been able to cut anything from that because what he, he said such important things and it was so interesting it had to exist in its entirety which is why i love podcasts because we you, you have the like the flexibility with which to do that The most amazing thing for me out of that episode was that I didn't have to edit anything out. <laughs> I was so grateful that out of that four and a half hour episode, all I needed to edit out was the one time that, and I paused the the interview at that point because mm-hmm. I told Patrick I'm expecting a package to arrive. <laughs> oh. so. that was the only thing like <laughs> i needed to sort of cut out and i made a marking of the time as well <laughs> so like yeah but patrick has a wealth of knowledge mm. eh? and he just goes yo he just went with it i like i didn't even really have to i, I mean if you i'm hardly even present on that episode you know it's just literally an entire lecture mm. which i probably should copyright but um <laughs> <laughs> it's just like yo it's it's amazing that well that is the beauty of podcasting mm. is that you can get information in in a in a way like we you can you can clean your house you can go on a road trip you can you know do whatever you want we not a lot of activities required from you you know and so you can take in information in a different way and and also the information that you're getting is 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 not necessarily the information that is going to be on the mainstream and it's why i hate radio i find mm. it so plastic and surface and 
and the people who you know you know go on radio and make have these personalities and make money from being completely problematic and stuff mm. like that you know i find that so disgusting um and so i do hope that this medium of podcasting does take off within south africa mm. um and not from this like i've seen some of the podcasts going around in south africa and it's all again surface bullshit mm. but you know what the nice thing is now is that you as the consumer can decide what you want to yeah okay. and that's that is the beauty of podcasting mm. because i was i was thinking as you were saying you like saying it's a lecture and i'm like it's such a great way to democratize like education because before you want to go to a lecture you got to either pay or you've got to make your way to some campus somewhere which is probably far and and that's the only way you kind of get that information like yes you know things change with TED talks and that kind of stuff but you know yeah there's so many other ways to get access to information podcasts are free you can listen you can get all this information for free which is amazing absolutely and for me the number one thing is that i always say on my end as well is that bitch i go to university okay i did go three times and never finished any of my degrees but um the fact is is that the way it's set up is so mm. um elitist and the language that is used is not always inviting and it's set up like that for a purpose because mm. they want to have certain minds having access to certain things so even with the stuff that patrick is talking about and the things that i've spoken to ling about and stuff like that like you only get access to that kind of information once you actually come into these universities and stuff like that you know and so it's up to persons who went to these elite universities to give us the information but then they also can't because hello struggle survival mm. you know and then once you in the working place you don't have time to be you know educating people and so i have a great respect for people like patrick who have used mm. their time and the the knowledge to put it out there in the world and with like minimal pay and with fucking death threats you know mm. what i mean like let's be real nobody wants this information to come out there is a definite plan and this is not conspiracy theories or anything like that there is a definite part not only of like active government but mm. um people who fund government and the old regime that's still very much a part of the current national party leading uh, party that has vested interest mm. in keeping South Africans dormant to what our actual history is you know so um yeah that's what i have to say about that So now that you've had Patrick on, who would be your dream guest next? Are we talking? Oh my God! Eva <laughs> Ray. Ah! <laughs> I would die to have Eva Ray as a guest on my show. Mm, I would. Like, you, you, you. It took you like a second. Like you didn't even. You didn't even pause. You were just like. I don't even think about it. 
<laughs> this bitch has everything going on, okay? She started on YouTube. She, you know, put a show out there and got picked up on HBO and just completely killed the game. I feel like she's a pioneer almost for millennial stories mm. coming up you know, and millennial black stories coming out. And I think we don't have that same kind of ability here in South Africa, but it serves as inspiration, you mm. know, to, to be deliberate about what we're putting out there. Um, and, and so like one of the things that I, I, I always try to push with this platform that, that I have is that we need to amplify melanated voices mm. and amplify um, melanated South African voices and um, deconstruct the things we think we know because mm. we don't know. Either. Yeah. Um, and so it's important for shows like yours and, and shows like mine to give representation for for the people that or for the communities that we come from. Mm. So if you had to describe what's the quarantine, how would you describe the podcast? I would describe the podcast as a space where folks can come together and learn about each other, a space where we can share with each other. We also have a Facebook group, for example, where we discuss the episodes like after, after they've mm-hmm. been released and stuff. Um, and, and sometimes I ask for people to give their questions beforehand because I, I do want it to be an interactive space mm. um, where people feel that they're not being spoken to, more that they are a part of the unlearning and relearning things. But it's essentially a space where we need to come through and relearn, deconstruct what everything that we know and rebuild it, really. Mm. Um, because I'm interested in a future where capitalism is not the end or and be all of our lives. I understand that we have to exist in that frame, but uh, I, I, I don't believe that it is a space where black people can thrive. And when I say black people, I mean myself as well, who has a colored culture. But for me, I believe colored people are black people. And that is something that came through with my episode with Patrick as well. Mm. Because um, I used to say, like, I'm politically black, but culturally colored. But I didn't really believe it Mm. because I'm so deep within colored culture. How? It's like, how do you separate that and all of that stuff? And and, um, I with listening to how how because I had posed the question to Patrick because I feel like identity is something that people of color culture struggle with so yeah. so much and um it's it's debilitating to a certain extent um it, it was debilitating to me because like I can't focus on any fucking thing else you know because I don't know mm. where I'm supposed to be placed and so I feel outside of so many things, but 
you know, when he explained things the way that he explained it, I was able to embrace the concept completely. And therefore, I can now put that in a box and be like, okay, cool. Now I can do the work that I got to do. You know what I mean? Um, That was really liberating for me. You know, um, and that just shows how I've learned through the information that comes through on the podcast, you know, um, even for me as the host, like I'm also unlearning. So the space is about mm. learning. I would describe the space as a place to come and put your cuck in a box and let's unpack it. Mm. Let's throw the things that you have a problem with and let's sort it out one by one. You know, mm. um, that's what I would say the the show what the show represents for me and i also want to say that the name is probably going to change because we're coming out of quarantine and lockdown and stuff like that and it's just not going to make sense anymore so it's going to change at some point um but essentially that's what the show is about and and i think it's also specifically focused on the identity crisis of people who call themselves colored Mm. I definitely want to focus on that end amongst other things. Um, but that's like where the core messaging lies. I'm a, like, I'm a big fan of podcasts. So I think I was first drawn to the bachelor thing because I've been, I've been watching the bachelor. I had so many issues. So I was originally like reviewing the bachelor when I still had a job and that was what I was doing. And my thing is that I didn't want to listen to a podcast of white people, I'm going to say, discussing the episodes because I felt that so many of the issues was race-related and they didn't see that, which is what drew me to yours. So I thought that's interesting because we have like people of color discussing the episode. And the funny thing for me is because I listened to it again and I was like, the funny thing for me is that when you said, um, I don't want to watch anymore, my friend and I, we both, re- we reviewed it for different publications and I'd WhatsApped her and I was like, I'm done. If I didn't have, if this was not my job, I would be stopping watching right here. And then I listened to your episode and you said exactly the same thing. But it, it is great. Like someone had, had commented to me that, that what they liked about my podcast was that they're hearing someone talk about something that they're interested in, but in an accent that they know. <laughs> and it's and it's weird because like we are so star I feel like we are so starved for representation. We are. Be willing to get it wherever we can because so for me it was like I want to hear women who sound like me or who who come from a similar background to me talking about this thing that affected me so much because when I had watched that episode with I don't know if you remember when they were spinning the wheel. Oh my god. (laughs) Literally that scene will never leave my life. Girl. I think I watched it twice because I was so mad the first time that I had to watch it again just to understand what went down. And then there was a moment when, okay, I'm also, it's been a while since I watched, so you're going to have to deal with me. Andaline, she said that Molessa is most likely to be a liar. And then she went back and said, no, it's because you're so clever, whatever. And then in, you saw, I saw Molessa's face. And then I heard it, like she said to Kwanisa, she was like, 
they don't even really know us. Do they even know that you're doing your masters? And just that mo- her face, and as she said that, and it triggered something so deep inside me, where you, where people have said insulting remarks to you, and they played it off, saying like, "No, you know, I didn't think you were like you because you're too pretty." Or <laughs> I didn't think that. Um, I thought you were too clever for that. You know what I mean? Like, whether whether you knew that that wasn't their initial reaction. <laughs> you're firing me up now. <laughs> It's so funny because that's the exact episode that I thought of when you asked me to come onto the show because that episode I felt defined what the fuckery was mm. on The Bachelor season two. I didn't watch season one. I heard yeah, it was boring. But with that episode, what had happened was I think Mark had asked the question, who is a liar or something like that? Or who's deceit? Something like that. Something to do with lying. Yeah, who's people. most likely, yeah. Who's most likely to lie? And Underline and her little group of other white bitches had said, um, well, Underline was the one that had said it, but they had agreed with her once she had said it, which was basically, I think that Melissa is most likely to lie because, um, uh, you know, it's not, it's, it's because she's a lawyer and lawyers lie, right? But who do you think you are? Mm. And how old are you? Lawyers lie? Are you like five? Come on. And I don't want to be like ageist. I don't think children think like that, but mm. it's like, the, the the level of critical thinking is non-existent, Andaline. You know, that episode, like, really cut deep. Mm. And it was very indicative of how white women move in the spaces. They say snarky-ass shit disguised with all this niceness and damsel in distressness. Mm. And, um, oh, no, I would never do anything like that. And, you know, I don't, like, like that at all. I'm sorry. You can, like, mm. cut that if you want. <laughs> like, I don't mind. If you keep it on, like, you can cut it. But, like, that is such an unfair. And this is what we experience. Mm. Like, this is, like, how, in a way, what was put out on The Bachelor was good because yeah. we basically that's how I felt exactly women who are black are treated and women of colored culture who are also black by the way for your Mm. listeners and like I just feel like it was a great way to show that like I like the fact that the producers didn't cut that Mm. probably because they didn't even see it as a problem and then you know and this is just how whiteness operates. Once mm. a white woman says something to a white man, he immediately believes it. Yeah. Regardless of the fact that she's never showed him that that's how she is. Exactly. Like, you know, I mean, it based on the fact that you trust this white woman more than you trust a black woman. And that's how it is. That's how it is. But it's so stupid. Like, how can you trust anyone in the house because they always want to make themselves feel better? Like, that's a bit dumb for me. So, I'm so but I did. Anisa was picked as yeah, the, the but I did, 
it does make me wonder about the bachelors they will pick for her because I, I don't, do you watch the American Bachelorette? Well, I've only seen one I'm, season, so no, I haven't watched the Bachelorette. I've only watched the last season of The Bachelor, which oh, I, I completely bored for. They just know how to do drama. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I um I watched the Bachelorette season with Rachel, which is the only Black Bachelorette or Black anything before the like upcoming Bachelor. But anyway, so they but then they had a guy in there who was very probably like a plant, but he was a bit racist. So he would always pick fights with the black guys in the house and then like say, I don't know why you're getting so aggressive about this. Like it was the worst. And then like once you watch it, you can see he's clearly not there for her. So, and then she's called him out. Like, so like they added a, like a racist contestant. So it makes me nervous of who they're going to add as her bachelors. That's not cool. Like, it, um, it makes me stress a bit because I'm like, I hope they don't put someone. Using our existence for capitalism. Mm, exactly. On your show. That's bullshit. So that's something I'm hoping that they pick someone. No, wait, wait, wait. That's trash. Please tell me more about what had happened. So wow. they literally brought in a white person to stir up some shit. It seems like that because it did not seem like he was there for her at all. And all he was what doing was... What did say? I mean, it was a while ago. I think Twitter thinks so. <laughs> because um, Rachel's now married, but she's also, like, she spoke out against it kind of recently. Where... Was it Rachel the one that was on The Bachelor season 12? She that could... short, darky? No. Uh, she's, she's black. Oh, black. Okay. Yeah. So that's so that's why it was a problem. Because if he's a racist, he's clearly not there for her. But he didn't make it. He never tried with her or anything. And he just riled up the other guys. But yeah, she she wrote about it. And she like said about they purposely cast the white. Like, uh, wow. But then doesn't she guy. have a choice in who she chooses? Yeah, she sent him out. <laughs> oh, she okay, did. Because so he was like almost... Was it in the... He got quite I far, know. I think. I can't really remember. It was a couple of years ago. But yeah, I think in the end, she stopped believing he should because he was kind of like a Bridget. He would make like trouble and then he would go like squeal to her and be like, oh my word, this guy did this, this guy did that. And then he was so aggressive with me. <laughs> but we just, yeah, I'm like spit ticked. But yeah. Mark and Melissa are back together. Oh, they're back together! Yeah. They've been spotted in Canal Walk. No. I Googled today because I wanted to, like, you know, refresh for the episode. And I didn't see anything like that. I actually literally just got a WhatsApp now. Mark and Marissa are back together and trying to make it work. According to my friend with direct access to Marissa. So... Wait, is that what the message said, or is that what you're saying? No, this is what the me- this is what the message said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm plugged in on all the channels to get to get all the tea. Oh my god, that relationship is so vanilla. I cannot. My whole theory about that was that he wanted like a young girl who he could influence, and I don't think that's her. Thank I think you. she's acting. 
are you kidding me? And this girl has not even turned 25. Oh, wait, she was 24. Mm. She was the youngest. Girl, Remember when she spoke French? Love has not developed, Henny. <laughs> what is you doing? Again. Who would you say was your first celebrity crush? Um, I can't believe I'm forgetting his full name. But it was Brandon. Was it Brandon? The dude from The Mummy. Oh, Brendan Fraser. Yes, no, he's cute. <laughs> oh, I died for him. He was everything. He's so and cute. He was like just, and it just like shows my penchant for. <laughs> for? Foreign white men. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your type? <laughs> I wouldn't say it's my type. I would say everything but a South African man is oh, my okay. type. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. <laughs> right. Um, no, Brendan Fraser was completely it for me. He was just like amazing. And um, it was actually quite disturbing when the whole thing came out of him being also part of the Me Too movement and having mm. experienced difficult or experienced sexual assault mm. within the industry and the mental health challenges that he faced. Like, it was already rough, but it was also, you know, another way to, oh, girl, humanize him. Mm. And that's like, I don't know if it's wrong to say, I don't know, but it, it, it was comforting to know that even your celebrity crushes mm. they struggle with the same things that you struggle with you know yeah. i think that was such an important thing about me too in general to show that with times up when they when they had people who were in vineyards people who worked as cleaning staff people in all facets of life have had to deal with this it is quite comforting in a way to know that what is your shame or what you have dealt with you know, so many, so many other people have dealt with it too. Yeah, and I mean, and it's very, like we have to make clear, it's not comforting to know that someone else experienced pain. Yeah. It's just a relate, re- relatability there mm-hmm. that we also feel is removed. As much as we mm-hmm. want to remove ourselves with all these reality shows and movies and stuff like that, there are people behind these shows who deal with the same kind of pain that we deal with. Mm at the end of the day. And I think like sometimes we treat celebrities as discardable. It's a lot, I don't know, it's a lot of things going on. Well, we got there from like, who's your, who's your first celebrity? <laughs> to meet you. I watch reality TV because everything's going to be a fucking serious trip. And ugh, I know, I know. I'm a potty favorite, right? <laughs> No, man, it's it's interesting. Like, I think for me, it's like um, why I do enjoy your podcast is because it's a lot of things that I'm thinking and interested in. And it's it's nice to hear other people who perhaps know more talking about it. I see you also reading Mermaid Fillet. Girl. Fillet. <laughs> I don't... Did you read that thing? I am halfway through 
I'm also halfway. Ciao. <laughs> Mia does not play. No, no, no. And everything, it's like, I was like, this is so hectic, but written so poetically that I'm like. <laughs> Can I just say, Mia Ardine has brought me out of my dormant reading phase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm finally reading again, Mia. Thank you. <laughs> because, wow. Mm. I am shook. I am taken aback. I am raining period on every hoe, honey. Get the book, get the book. <laughs> it was like when I read that in the book, I was like, huh? And then when it, oh, I mean, I think I read it like in the summary or the, the blurb. And then when I read it in the actual book, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> That book is everything. I so feel good. like this is going to be the kill ball of our generation for our culture. We just got to get it out there. And I am currently obsessed. There's so much great writing that's happening right now, like in South Africa. Brilliant. But it's so nice to read something that is so colored. But it's also so now. But it's also fantasy. So it's a world where anything can come to. But it's also people that you feel like you know. I love it. Like, I mean, so many other colored books that we read, say colored, but like, are books either about the past, like things that happened before, or what's true stories, or you know what I mean? Yeah, we don't have any fiction, you know? Yeah. Other than like Mina Africa on reality and this has all of that and then some Mm. and um i'm actually going to be interviewing mia tomorrow (laughs) um i'm so excited oh my god i'm obsessed but anyway i have to finish the book by then yeah no that book is like the whole thing is mermaid filet like Mm. nobody thinks about eating I'm Ahmed. Hello. It's all just romantic and yeah. singing songs and octopuses with mermaids, right? So <laughs> what are we talking about? And I'm halfway through the book and um, I'm just like, I still don't know what's going on for the record. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I don't think I've gotten to the point yet where you find out. <laughs> it is phenomenal. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. It's like there's such relatable topics mm. and relatable places, you know. When you read these other novels, it's like talking about Luxembourg and Soho, mm. all these like seemingly exotic places and stuff. And here we've got Goodwood and Woodstock. <laughs> <laughs> mm. And Raven's Meat. Are you kidding me? And I love that she's based it sort of on the northern suburb mm. side and I actually had a conversation with her, with Mia, the author and um, we were saying we had a lot because I like to have conversations sometimes I have conversations sometimes I don't but I had a long conversation with her beforehand because I needed to get to know the person mm. <laughs> before I have the interview because I felt like this book had a level to it that mm. deserved some introspection 
Ooh, ciao. But one of the things that we share is that we both lived in the northern suburbs as colored people mm. or black, as myself, black person now of colored culture. And it was interesting because we were talking about the schools and stuff mm. and we were like laughing because we shared so many isms with each other and stuff like that. And it was like, you finally, we are getting ourselves out here. Mm. You've got a book. I'm going to be interviewing you. Secondly, we're coming on to Karen's pod. We are now even talking about you on Karen's pod. We are sharing information via our platforms. And everything right now feels so energetic and amazing. Mm. And I'm just here for all of it. All of it. Patrick's book is coming out on the 13th which is like, what's today? It's the eighth today. I can't yes. do math. It's going to be now, now. And I'm happy, man. Like, we've got so many things going for us right now, and we got to put everything out there. Mermaid, filet, isomalous. Karen, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on. It's so important for all of us to um, have our voices and to collaborate um, between our different mediums and platforms. And I want to say, you know, you're doing amazing work on your side. And thank you so much for being a voice of your caliber and of your experience and bringing other voices onto your platform. I appreciate it. And I'm very humbled to be on your show. Thank you. So that was Taryn Cardre from What's the Quarantine podcast. You can find her on Instagram at Taryn Cardre. You can find the podcast at What's the Quarantine on Instagram, at WTQ Pod on Twitter, and What's the Quarantine on Facebook, as well as Facebook groups. So please give her a follow, listen to the show. The show's available wherever you get your podcast. As always, all the links will be down below. Me. You can find at Karen Walby on Instagram and at Karen Walby's on Twitter, so that Walby's with an S. You can subscribe to my newsletter, Wildest Dreams. The link will be down below. You can find the podcast at Crushing on Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Don't forget to join our Facebook group, Crushing on Club. Please, please join. It's so much fun. You can send any feedback to crushingonpod at gmail.com. All our episodes you can find on your feeds or whatever podcast network. Plus, you can find it at our website, which is crushingonpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And please, if you enjoyed the show, tell a friend. Um, word of mouth is our best way of, of spreading the word. So, please tell a friend. All episodes are edited and produced by Rebecca Barches. And thank you so much for listening.